So this week, um, I had the opportunity and the privilege uh, to have coffee with uh, Susan here. And she told me that she's been coming to this church since 1975, which to me was amazing because that's almost 50 years if you can do the math really quickly in your head. And as I was talking to Susan and she was telling me a little bit about the history of the church, um, that was kind of my agenda because I was preparing for this talk. She told me of the different pastors that have come and gone, the different ups and downs that happened at this church. But the continuous team theme that kept hitting me over and over again in our conversation was this, that God has been at work here at Port Kells way before me or Dan ever got here, way before me or Dan ever knew even about this church. And uh, probably God has been at work at this church longer than most of you have been here or have attended here at Port Kells Church, because I know some of you are new some of you might have been coming here for as long as Susan, and uh, some of you know that this church was founded in 1888, 1888. So it's 135 years old, 135 years old. And so as I reflected on that and reflecting on what I was preparing to end off this series called Foundations, which we've been going through a vision and mission, this is a question that keeps coming to my mind. What makes this church so resilient, right? Why hasn't this church died yet? To, to put it more crassly, if you will. That's a question that kept coming to my mind because uh, as you know, we talk about uh, this often here. In the West, churches in decline, right? People are less and less attending church on a Sunday or seeing it as something important. Not only that, we know that culture has become more hostile towards Christianity, especially the values that we hold if you follow Jesus. Not only that, uh, uh, culture is becoming hostile to anyone or anything that claims to have absolute truth. That's just not okay in our culture anymore. So to put it another way, how does a place that is a beacon of hope, a beacon of truth, stand firm and last in a culture where truth is deteriorating as we know it. As we form around this vision and mission statement, as we've been talking about, we want to become a community of apprentices of Jesus, joining God in his renewal of all things. That's what we've been talking about this whole series for the last seven or eight weeks or so. And as we come to this last core value, we want to build this on this. We're anchored in legacy. We're anchored in legacy. This is one of the core values that we want to build on here at PKC. And what I mean by that is we are part of a long tradition of apprentices of Jesus. We participate in the practices and the rhythms of the church that transcend our cultural moment. Some of you might uh, have know these practices, these rhythms that I'm talking about, if you're in a PKC community, as Dan's been talking about. You know, we aren't trying to reinvent the wheel. That's simply what we mean by that. We're looking to the past to build our future. 
And if you come to welcome to PKC after service, as Dan said, Dan will get into a little bit about our Methodist roots that started this church in 1888 and a little bit about the practices and rhythms that we're looking to reinvigorate and re-inject into what we do here at PKC. But instead of highlighting all of those for you, I really want to share what I think as we move into the future is one key thing, one key ingredient, one key building block that we are going to need as we set forth for whatever God has before us. I believe it's the one thing that has fueled this church and its mission for the last 135 years. It's the one thing that if you don't have, you cannot do anything for God, let alone please him in any way. It's the one thing that we're not only going to need to build on, but we're going to ask, we are going to need to ask God as a congregation for more of. It's the one thing that is the foundation to everything that we do here at PKC. And so this morning, as we talk about this last cultural value to cover this last thing, I want to go to a story in Joshua 14. So Joshua 14, 6 to 14. It's a story that showcases this one one thing. And so let's uncover it together this morning. If you have a Bible, you could turn there with me. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. And I'm just simply going to read this out loud for us this morning. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephne, the Kenzanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kedesh Barnea, about you and me? Just in case you don't know who Moses is, let me give you some context so the rest of the story makes sense, okay? Moses is probably the greatest leader that the Israelites have ever had up until this moment that Joshua takes on leadership. He led the people of Israel out of 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians and through miraculous, powerful events, signs and wonders, God led them out of slavery, split open the Red Sea, and now they're making their way towards the promised land. All these events that I just shared, we know as the Exodus. But on the brink of walking into the promised land, everything that God promised to them, something happens. Something takes place that sends them back into the desert for another 40 years. Verse 7 says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kedesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephne, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb 
son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Let's pray one more time, and we're going to see what this has to do with us as a church, okay? So come Holy Spirit. Got a pause in this moment to ask, to plead with you that you would speak to us as a new community that is forming here at PKC. Come Holy Spirit and apply the story, apply these words to the moment that we're living here, here in 2023. And God, no matter where we're at when it comes to following you, if there's some of us that are exploring Christianity or just have some questions about who you are or if you're even real, I pray that you would uh, meet us in that place. And for those of us that are on the other side of the spectrum who have maybe been following you for years and years and years, but are going through a hard season or are facing doubt or uh, have fear creeping in in our minds and our hearts as we follow you this season, I pray that you would speak to us also. Comfort us from this passage. Build us up. Fill us again with your spirit. Strengthen us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes when I read these Old Testament stories, I don't know about you, but I, I can't help but think or ask this question or the stock goes in my head. What does this have to do with me, right? Being in 2023, what does this story about this 85-year-old dude that wants to go into battle have to do with me? One thing that you need to know about this book of Joshua that might give you some instant infinity with what's going on here is to understand that the book of Joshua is a book of transition, okay? It's a book of transition. Someone put it like this. It's a bridge book linking the time of the birth of the nation when the exodus out of Egypt occurred to its settlement in the promised land. Some have thus compared Joshua to the book of Acts, which some of you know we've gone through earlier this year, which describes the transition from Jesus in the Gospels to the formation and the establishment of the church today. Joshua describes God's people, Israel, taking possession of the promised land. Acts describes God's people, the church, the true Israel, taking possession of, spiritually of the whole earth. Right now in this moment, if you follow Jesus, you're continuing that mission today. And as I was reflecting on that thought that Joshua is a book of transition, we as a community have been in a year of transition, haven't we? Right? Like very obviously, transitioning from an old community in some sense to a new community where new people are coming in, some people are leaving, but forming this new expression of what Fort Kells is going to be in the future, right? Uh, transitioning leadership. You know, Bob, who is uh, up there serving faithfully on the slides, passing the baton on to me and Dan as we took on leadership here at the church. You know, transitioning from uh, old vision to a new vision and mission as we're, we're talking about in this series. Maybe some of you have been in a season of transition. You know, transitioning careers or jobs, transitioning communities, moving schools, you know, some of us uh, getting used to life with kids or preparing and transitioning to have a baby. 
You know, there's just so many different transitions that are going on in this community. It's somewhat the norm right now in this moment. And this is the sense that I was getting as I was preparing this message, right? As we come to the end of this series, we're on the precipice of something new, of a new era, a new work of God that we're entering into. Not just that, the, the landscape of the church in Canada as we know it is changing. So even as a local expression, a local church, we're moving into a new season of being followers of Jesus in this century. And in order to, to, to traverse the journey ahead of us well, the one thing that we need is exemplified for us in the person of Caleb in this story. In verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kedesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Imagine this moment. Joshua and Caleb, they're veterans, Military soldiers coming back to this place called Gilgal, a historical place, a place full of memories, a place where the Israelites first made camp when they first came to the promised land 40 years ago, a place where they built 12 stones up together to memorialize the moment that God split the Jordan open so that they could walk through dry ground. This place is significant. Powerful memories echo from here. And at this place, Caleb approaches Joshua once again, and it reminds him about this moment in Israelite history that Joshua probably rather forget. Some of you know it, as I alluded to it, just to read a couple excerpts from Numbers 13 to 14. Numbers 13, 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. So God tells them to go into this land before they go take it over and to, to scout it out. So Moses sends 12 spies, two of them being Joshua and Caleb. They go about the land for 40 days, right? And they come back with like tons of different things to talk about. These grapes that are as big as, I don't know, their heads. Because they two of the guys have to like carry this branch back on their shoulders. But what happens, right? What happens after these 40 days? They come back to camp. And most of them, the 10 spies, instead of seeing freedom, instead of seeing this land flowing with milk and honey, they let fear take over their fate. They let fear creep into their hearts. Numbers 13, 28 says, but the people who live there are powerful. This is the report of the 10 spies and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Descendants of Anak are like giants to them. They're like these huge people. Like think about like seven foot seven NBA players or something like that. You know what I'm saying? That's what they are to these people. So 10 out of the 12 spies are giving a bad report. The highlight's negative. But Caleb doesn't give in to groupthink. Caleb doesn't let this fear take over him. Numbers 13.30 says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can certainly do it. Or as it said in Joshua 14.7, I brought him back a report according to my convictions. One translation says, uh, A word again that was in my heart. And here's the question. Why was Caleb the notable exception? 
right? Why was Joshua and Caleb not swayed by the rest of the 10 guys? Knowing myself, a lot of times it's easy to give into peer pressure, right? It's easy to like hear about all these negative bad reports, you know, 10 versus two and just be like, yeah, no, you guys are right. It's like horrible. Like we shouldn't go into this land. We're going to get killed, right? The thing that kept him from moving to this place of fear to moving this mindset of fear was this one word. It was his convictions. It was his convictions. It says he followed God wholeheartedly. Put simply, Caleb had real faith in God. He had real trust in God. What's faith, you might ask? Well, while our modern culture might distance itself from tons of things when it comes to Christianity, faith is not one of them. Our culture loves to talk about faith. It sounds different. It looks different. To our culture, faith is a feeling a positive outlook on life. Faith is great. But you have to ask this question, when it comes to culture's idea of faith, where does this rosy view of faith come from? What is it based on? Oftentimes, uh, when we talk about faith in our culture, it means having faith in yourself. It's about becoming who you really are meant to be or want to be. One scholar puts it like this, the idea a faith in our culture can't stand up to scrutiny. Faith becomes just something that you conjure up in yourself. It's something to add to the list of things that we need to do in order to be successful. But here's the thing he says, it doesn't work with the reality of what people are like. After all, if true faith is all about looking inward and seeing how great I am, that's not good news. The scholar writes, which I agree with, I'm a mess. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a mess trying to get my life together. But here's the beautiful thing about the biblical definition of faith. It's radically different. See, it's not a faith based on positive thinking or looking inside yourself. It's not assurance of oneself. Instead, we're called to take and put our trust and place it on something outside of ourselves. Hebrews 11, 1 is one of the main places in the Bible where we get a definition of faith. And in the ESV translation, it says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not just a feeling. It's not just saying, I hope it's true. It means being certain about something. Notice the two key words in the verse, right? Assurance and conviction. Assurance and conviction. Faith is rock solid trust that when God makes a promise, he's going to be true to his word. He's going to come through. It's absolute assurance and confidence that God's word can be relied upon. And going back to Caleb, this is the one thing that we learn in my language my words, real faith, true faith, living faith is built on God's word. How do you know you have real faith if it's built on God's word? And listen, this is easier said than done because I know what some of you are thinking in this moment, right? I was thinking it myself as I was preparing this message. Here we go, Ben, another pastor, standing up in front of a church 
And he's about to say that, okay, congregation, friends, we're going to have to read the Bible more as we move forward into this new vision, right? How revolutionary, right? I know what you're thinking, because that's what I was thinking myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to go stand in front of this community and say, hey, the revolutionary step that we need to take as a community as we move forward to building the future of this church is to read our Bibles more. But thinking about that for a moment, think about the moment that we're living in. Thinking about what is going on in the world, right? The pain, the evil, the war. Thinking about the culture of Canada and the direction that it's moving right? I was sitting with our, our PKC community that meets on Thursday nights at Dave's house, and we're sitting there reading our Bible, right? Smoked cheese having charcuterie, right, Reg? Like reading Hebrews 11, and I was thinking about this moment and how powerful what we were doing was in that moment. Because as we opened the scriptures together, as we were reading these words, What was happening in that moment is it was forming us. It was reminding us of what we put our faith in, why we have faith, what it's built on. And I realized this moment, the stakes are too high not to build our faith on God's word. Because listen to me, if you don't build your faith on God's word, you're going to build your faith on the words of the world. You hear what I'm saying? And the stakes are high. How high are the stakes? Listen to me. One thing that's coming for you in this culture, coming after your faith is this. It's the crowd. It's the culture. It's the society around you, represented in this story by the 10 spies who give a bad report. We hear bad reports all the time, right? Don't we? Right? We talked about it here. Christianity is declining in the West. One article in 2019, CBC put out, it was talking about how in the next 10 years, okay, this is 2019, in the next 10 years, 9,000 churches and religious spaces are going to close their doors. 9,000 in Canada. Is that crazy? Forget that. You don't have to scroll that long on social media or your news feed or whatever to see some Christian getting called out or called a bigot for having some orthodox view on sexuality or marriage, right? You don't have to go far to see how groupthink is making its way into not just this culture, but we're susceptible to it because it's coming after what we believe as Christians, right? And here's the thing. The one thing that we're all susceptible to, no matter who you are, if you're following Jesus or not, is this thing that is prevalent in our culture, and it's this idea of hurting. Edward Freeman, a sociologist and a writer, says the one thing that we all are susceptible to is this idea of hurting, which is despite our ideology of individualism, our emotional reactivity and our social nature drives us towards others. As the culture becomes reactive, we begin to act in a herd-like way or herd-like ways. A mob mentality takes over. Listen to this. The society lowers itself to pleasing and not offending its most emotionally immature and unhealthy members who then end up dictating the health of the culture. 
I'm going to let that sink in for a couple seconds. Although simple, the most powerful ways to combat this is meditating on God's word. Is doing the practices that Dan so beautifully laid out for us on our website, you know, meditating on scripture, Lectio Divina, studying scripture. It's reminding ourselves, feeding our faith so it doesn't waver in moments like this. I don't want you to underestimate the power of this habit. Looking at the life of Caleb, you need to imagine he walked the desert for 40 years, even after he believed, even after he thought that God can do it, and he gave a good report. I don't know about you, but I would be thinking in those moments, those 40 years, how unfair is this, God? What kept Caleb going? Not explicit to the text, but I believe as he was going through these hardships, this suffering in the desert with these Israelites who were doubting God, who were talking about going back to Egypt. It's like, hey, it's better for us to be slaves in Egypt. And in those moments, I believe he probably remembered the words in Deuteronomy 135 to 36, where it says, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it. And I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. This is what cultivated his faith. This is what he went back to over and over again, telling himself, God said it, so I will see it. God said it, so I will see it. And listen, this is why I stand up here and speak to you about this with such conviction. Some of you know this. 2022 for me was what I consider my year in the desert, my year in the wilderness. 2021, we came back from Ontario, as some of you know, and I thought, okay, I'm going to come back believing that we were being obedient for what God was leading us to, coming back from Ontario to BC, to be with my parents, to do ministry here. And I thought like after four or five months, I'd find a job in a church, right? Five months hit. Forget like 29 or 39 years or whatever in the desert. Okay, five months hit and doubt and fear started creeping in. I started thinking like, okay, did I hear God wrong? Having conversations with my friends. They were like, hey, did you resign from a good job too early? Should you maybe have waited a little bit and just like flesh this out? Doubt started creeping in. I started questioning my calling, my purpose in my life. And the only thing, the only thing that kept me hoping, the only thing that kept me from losing faith in those moments was the simple practice of going down to my office in the mornings, opening up scripture, opening up my journal, and just asking God to speak to me from the words of scripture. And I have a journal full of words and verses that encouraged me that year, but one of the main verses okay, that kept me going was the simple phrase in Psalm 23 where the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Those words are powerful. If you received a bad diagnosis, or you're going through a season where you lost a friend or a family member, or you're questioning your faith, 
Those are the moments where these words like the Lord is my shepherd. He's guiding me. He's leading me. I lack nothing. Faith is built on God's word. And PKC, as we move into the future, we will build this church on the words of Jesus found in Matthew 16, 18, where he says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Caleb had great faith that he built on God's word. But here's the thing. His faith wasn't in his faith. I'll explain what I'm saying in a second. Verse 10 says this. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am, 85 years old. He's acknowledging the fact that God has already kept half of his promise to him because he's been alive for 45 years. Okay, and he's seen the rebellious generation that was part of his generation perish. But he continues to say, I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Isn't it amazing? He's 85 years old, 85 years old and he's saying, I'm just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. So now give me this hill country. That's a declaration of faith right there. Because why? The Lord promised me that that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But listen to this. He says, but the Lord helping me. That's key. The Lord helping me. I will drive them out just as he said. Even though he's 85 years old, there's no doubt in his declaration there. You got to read it like that. And this is what we learn about real faith. To sum up in my own words, real faith contends for the future by remembering how God moved in the past. Real faith contends for the future. It fights for the future by remembering how God moved in the past. Even though he was 85, he feels strong and is vigorous, but his confidence, his faith isn't in his strength. Caleb's faith isn't in his strength. His faith isn't in his military strategy. His faith isn't in his warrior persona. His faith isn't in his fighting skills or his army that he has backing him up. No, his faith, his full trust is seen in this one phrase, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he says. His assurance is that the Lord will help him. His assurance is that as the Lord helps him, he can take this land. Simply put, his faith and our faith are in what God has done and in what God is about to do. Again, Hebrews 11 again says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, it tells us faith is assurance about something. What is it exactly that we have assurance about? Verse 1 says clear. It highlights the two types of things that we know about our faith. Things hoped for are things in the future that have not yet happened. And things not seen are things in the past. Events that we have not seen, but they are there because we know because of history. One scholar says like this, when it comes to faith, faith either looks back at what God has done or looks to the future of what God will do. Either way, and this is the key, faith is about trusting God. It is not faith in ourselves. It's about trusting something outside of ourselves. Here's where we can see what makes faith so powerful. What makes faith work is what you put your faith in, not how much of it you have. 
We often assume that what makes faith successful is how strong it is, but that's not true. What makes faith so powerful is the object of our faith. And as Christians in 2023, our faith is in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the beginning and the end, the model of our faith. I love how Dan uh, put this when we were talking in our James series, when he gave us a definition of faith. How we know we have real faith is when it moves us to action. He said this, when it comes to faith, this is his definition of faith. You know you have real faith when you're living like what you believe is true. When you're living like what you believe is true. That's when you know you have real faith. That's when you know you put your faith in Jesus. See this word here found in Hebrews, you know, now faith. In the original language, it's this word pistis, right? Back then, in this original culture, they didn't have this word faith that we know of in our English language, okay? And this word pistis, faith, to them, it had all these different meanings. It meant trust for sure, but it also meant allegiance. It also meant loyalty. It meant living according to this new reality that has set in. So think about that for a second. As followers of Jesus, our faith moves us to action because we realize in a deep sense that we're living in this new reality, right? Because of Jesus and the gospel, which we'll talk about in a second, this new reality has broken through. Heaven has come to earth through the person of Jesus. And because now he's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God, we know that as followers of Jesus, we can experience heaven now through the Holy Spirit. And we're bringing about the kingdom of God wherever we go because the Holy Spirit comes with us as we make disciples and we share the good news of the gospel. We're living into this new reality, right? And the cross and everything that we know, when it comes to our faith, we live it out in action because we have seen and tasted this reality if you've experienced Jesus for yourself. And what Hebrews is talking about is that we live in allegiance to this king, King Jesus, and our actions coincide with this new reality because we believe heaven is invading earth as we speak. Not fully yet, but a little bit at a time. It's like this, okay? uh, To help you understand it. In Ontario, when winter comes, it comes, okay? It's like tons of snow all the time. Right now, people are probably, you know, signing up to get people to, oh, this is what we did in Ontario, uh, clear their driveways, okay? Because this is what happened. We moved into this area in northern Ontario, and I was like, okay, what kind of snow, snow blower do I need to get to prepare for the winter ahead of us, okay? So I asked my neighbor who lived there for I don't know how many years. He's like, dude, snow blower, forget about that you can buy like the most expensive snowblower. I'm talking about like, you know, 2K, 3K, dropping on a snowblower. He's like, forget that. Just ask this guy who has a snow removal service down the road. He comes in at 4 a.m. with a bunch of tractors and he'll remove the snow, okay? But here's why I tell you that. There's feet and feet of snow in Ontario when winter hits, okay? And here's the funny thing that I found, okay? As soon as Christmas comes, or sorry, as soon as spring comes, Okay, and the first flowers bloom through the snow. Like you might have to dust off the snow or the ice on the ground to see these few flowers, right? And the 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 weather, uh, ch- the temperature changes from like minus twenty five to like plus ten. 
People go crazy out there, okay? There's people at my work at this moment in time that are showing up to work with flip-flops. I'm like, you are crazy. It's not even that cold. But what is happening in that moment, right? There's evidence, as Hebrew is saying, there's evidence, these flowers in the ground, the temperature changing to plus 10 of this new reality that is coming. And therefore, it leads them to this new way of living, right? By putting on flip-flops. It's this action, this outward action that tells them and tells us that summer or spring is coming, warmer weather is coming. That is what Hebrews is talking about here when it comes to our faith. It's living in a way that we believe this new reality is coming into full fruition. Caleb lived out his faith by fighting for his future, but he did this while remembering how God moved in the past, basing his faith and confidence in God and nothing else. Think about that for a second, okay? Caleb was a slave in Egypt, and he saw God move and set his people free in miraculous ways. Different plagues came through, the parting of the Red Sea. He saw God lead them into the desert by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He saw God provide manna for them to eat. He saw God bring them through the desert after 40 years into the promised land, okay? Think about the amazing things that God had did in his life that he saw. And as I came into this moment, right, thinking about this sermon, poor Kell's church, right, Remember what God did in this place. Dan stumbled across this video that I've talked about that he sent me, okay? And I felt God just remind me or ask me this question, like as a community, as we move into the future, will we remember what God has done in this place? This video that he's shown me, I wish I put it up on the screen, but I don't have it. You can probably find it on Facebook. Is like this video of this place full of people singing and worshiping and praising God. And as I watched this video for the first time, I was praying, God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again in this place? You know, when Bob transitioned, he showed us like this record book of all the different baptisms that have happened here over the course of the many years of this church. And I was looking through that list with Dan. I was praying in my heart, Lord, would you do it again? PKC, may I be so bold to say after 135 years of this church existing, we are not dead yet. God still has some work to do through us, right? Faith is God manifesting his kingdom inside of us so that he can manifest his kingdom through us to the community around us. And we know how God moved in the past because of the gospel, don't we, right? We know that while we were still sinners, Jesus, the Son of God, came down to earth, lived a perfect life in our place, died on the cross for the sins of the world so that you and me can have a way to make our way into the relationship with the God of the universe. And being adopted into the family of God, we've been formed into a new people. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new future. As I said, Jesus is reigning as king right now, as I speak in the right hand of God, waiting for the future reality of the full kingdom of heaven to come and invade this earth when he comes back again. And the first deposit that we have of this future inheritance, of this future that we look forward to, as Dan talked about last week, is the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus 
from the dead. The same divine help, the same presence of God that's going to help Caleb in this story take the promised land. And maybe, maybe as we press into God's presence as a community this season, he will do a work among us, through us, to see his kingdom spread to our neighbors all around us. In Surrey and in Langley, here's the question that I have for us this morning. Will we be the exception? You know, this is what I want to leave you with. This is what I want us to ponder. No matter what your age in this room this morning, like Caleb, what if your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God is ahead of you? What if your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God is ahead of you, PKC? I'm going to call the band up as we end. But I want to pray. How's God calling you to respond in this moment? Anchored in legacy. We're building the future of this church on our past. Maybe in this moment, God's calling you to come to welcome to PKC and to find out what it looks like to be a member of this church, to join us on the mission of moving forward to becoming a community of apprentices of Jesus, renew, uh, joining God in his renewal of all things. Maybe that's the step. Maybe for some of you, as we pray, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, asking you to put your faith in King Jesus, to surrender your life to him. Maybe God's asking to serve in this church in some way as we build this mission together. I don't know. But what I simply want to do is pray, create space for the Holy Spirit to speak, to apply this message to you this morning.